Welcome to 1200. Kia ora, everyone. This is the Independent Media and Politics Podcast. I am joined this Saturday morning by Philip and Justine. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Uh, thank you. Howdy. You say howdy? Yeah. Yeah, howdy. nice, nice. Um, <laughs> um, some... Wow. Single me out then, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> You can keep testing new catchphrases until something sticks, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I'm here for diversity of um, catchphrases. Greetings. Yeah. 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 Mix it up, surprise people, um, shock people. I mean, I sometimes say y'all. I just have no right to say that. There's just no connection whatsoever, but I do say that. It's a a good one. It's a good, like, um, catch-all term. It's better than, like, saying guys, right? I claim American cultural imperialism. So I think we all have the right to do that. Yeah. I speak English and I've never even been to the country. So in a way. So uh, true. So true. <laughs> but yeah, it's nice. To, it's nice to be back. I feel like I've not been on a podcast for like a few months for various like sickness and busy reasons. Um, or because I was poisoned by rival podcasts. Um, mm. me out. I mean, that's the most likely outcome. Yeah. Yeah, you, have micro, you have microplastics in your blood now because of the rival podcast. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, um, Yakuaka and Posting Cast and the Gone by Lunchtime guys all poisoning me. But I'm back. You can't kill me that easily. Exactly. And um, back in, and ready to talk about uh, this week's current events. Um, I hope you're, you're well prepared, Philip. Do you feel up to the task? Oh, yeah. I've been studying um, all night and haven't slept. I'm on every upper known to mankind. I wanted to. I want to start with a, a I guess, um, saying a, a few words for Moana Jackson, who passed away um, this week. Uh, just a. I'm not sure. Like we could ever do him justice in terms of the work he's done, uh, not just for New Zealand. Um, and Aotearoa uh, and Māori and Indigenous politics here, but globally as well. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it's very, it's not often where someone in the public sphere dying hits me this hard. And there's just such an outpouring uh, on social media um, dur- during this week um, for Moana as well. And I, I just wanted to uh, make mention of that um, at the outset of the cast. Yeah, I feel the same way, Kyle. Um, and uh, I only I met Moana twice, very briefly, but um, certainly, like, he was a great man. And I don't say that lightly in person as well. Just an amazing, amazing man who you you can't help but remember when you talk to him because he just exuded such I don't know any wisdom and kindness and power as well anyways um to me it's like crazy that he isn't a national hero it really it really like um you know he he is you know he was one of the leaders of the decolonial movement internationally it's not it's not just that he's someone who's contributed to Aotearoa yeah so um you know Anyways, I think that says a lot about how colonial we remain, that he isn't really, um, and that it's sort of a footnote in um, in mainstream me- media and mainstream society, but truly a, a hero and, a, and I think an, an icon, like, uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, totally. That's, that's covered what I um, was thinking as well, is that like, um, as well as it's very, it's very kind of humbling and you definitely get that kind of, um, you know, mighty talk to a falling kind of feeling that's like, oh, that's like a space that's gone now. Um, but yeah, it definitely kind of reinforces like, I, I guess the structures that our um, discourse for want of like a more accurate word respects, the fact that he's not, you know, hasn't been seen in kind of mainstream circles as one of the most influential, intelligent, creative, um, disruptive kind of people in the country. In the um, world, um, <laughs> just yeah, yeah. But I just mean in all in all spheres, yeah. like uh, absolute giant of like indigenous rights and um, legal thought and constitutionalism and all this all this kind of stuff, um, which is amazing, right? That we have mm. someone like that, um, and who's just being like 
living through all these all these different parts um, of, I guess, conversational history and weighing into all these debates, um, really like in a really measured, quiet, intelligent, um, but powerful way with just like unending mana. Um, yeah, I'm really keen to do a, a podcast on him specifically, so I don't want to get into it too much, but I'd like to get some more legal people together and talk about like his contributions to um, indigenous law, constitutional law, criminal law, all these different like areas that he weighed in on and tied them all mm. together. Cause I think it's a really good example of how law can be used as, like a weapon for good, which, you know, barely ever is. So it's nice to see. Um, and totally. yeah, it's just really nice to see those like disruptive potentials come out of that space when they do. Um, and then of course it's shut down and ignored as much as possible by the kind of corporate idea of the corporate wing, I suppose, the capital wing of the legal profession. Mm. You know, um, yeah, that's, that is kind of like the, what I've been thinking is he was truly a public intellectual, you know, he was a, and he was, he was, and I, and I really mean this, a man of his people and the people and um, you, you know, those people are so f- few and far between these days um we used to have more of them when we had more of a public sphere um i think that's also why um his loss is um affecting me quite a bit because we don't we don't make space for milana jackson's for, for people like that um you know and um yeah anyways the best of us um and um you know here's to here's to yeah here's to him all right, and now on to uh, our, our normal um, rabid programming. Um, so it's been a it's been a busy week uh, in in the policy space, which is not something we often get to say about uh, New Zealand politics. It's been dominated by uh, COVID uh, policy and response and Labour saying we can't do anything else because of COVID and National saying, why aren't you doing different things about COVID? But this week, and if, if you're happy to take us through some of it, Justine, that would be fantastic. Um, we've had the, just yesterday, um, the April 1st changes to a, a whole range of, of, of welfare state policy. Yeah, um, I thought you were gonna ask me about fair pay agreements, Kyle. <laughs> I'm so ready to talk about <laughs> <pay> agreements. <laughs> okay. um, no, 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 let's no, let's talk about it. Let's talk about um, you know the other changes because they are good. So it's, it's kind of aimed at um, helping ameliorate some of the cost of living struggles um, as if the the price of everything just rapidly spirals out of control, and you know working people um, are really struggling to get by. Um, I think like. In terms of just painting kind of like a, a a picture of the kind of struggling that's you know the struggles that people have right now, I, I don't know if um, people follow the story of um, so um, Auckland councillor Josephine Bartley told the story of one of her constituents who um, fell ill with COVID, a young man with a, with a young family who unfortunately passed away. Um, but you know. Firstly, that in and of itself is such a tragedy, and I don't think we're hearing any of the stories of the people that were losing to COVID, which I just think is a cone of silence, which I've, which I've sort of said. Over 100 yeah. this week for the first time, right? That's a that's yeah. a nutrition. It's such an enormous loss, and we just don't hear anything, and, and I think that is part of the normalisation of this whole thing. But anyways, let's... Um, but then the other, I mean, like, as if that's not enough, is like the loss of this, you know, young man with a young family. It comes out that the family can barely afford, can't afford food. They can't afford food because he's out of work whilst ill with dying with COVID. I mean, that's how bleak it is. It really is. It's just, you know, shocking. Anyways, um, so the government has made some small changes. They've increased... Um, benefits to um about where it they were sort of recommended to be increased at the time of the we report which unfortunately was a while ago now a while ago so you know it's like okay three i think three more than three years actually no three years yeah 
three years ago, which is, you know, before obviously the spiraling cost of housing and, and, and essential things. So, so, you know, it's like we're playing this ridiculous game of catch up. Um, and then obviously, um, the other, uh, there's some changes to, um, credit, like t- child credits and things like that. Is that right? I don't even know. Working for families, um, and obviously the um, petrol subsidies, um, and as well as the half price public transport, which um, is probably the most exciting one. Though they should just make it free, like some fabulous mayoral candidates are campaigning <laughs> for. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, you say that, but Leo Malloy is also um, on the free public transport bandwagon. So uh, I you think know, you should be more specific. Lesser le- men will follow, but um, we know a trailblazer <laughs> when we see one. Yeah. No, if, no, like I'm talking about a serious person who actually might do it rather than what can we call Leo Malay? I don't even think Joker is appropriate. I don't want to like malign Jokers. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, Fisher Collins, um, you know, really was the first politician to actually have... Um, have the like courage to come out with a policy like that. And I, I, I've been really heartened to see even the greens policy was, was trash. Like it was trash. And so FESO coming out and then the government halving public transport um, prices has actually made the greens go left. So I think we're, you know, that, that, yeah, anyways, I'm kind of getting off track. Um, But yeah, there's a couple of a raft of sort of measures designed to try and help ameliorate some of um, yeah, the cost of living kind of strife that's going on at the moment. Uh, I don't think it's enough. It's not the problem with how big these issues are is they really do require that transformative bold policy um, that uh, labor ha- has been so bad at delivering on um, despite you know promising it and, um, and, and, and and it's funny because you know they, they can do things now that seem radical three years ago or four years ago and it's not because the context changed i think that's really important um to kind of understand yeah that's like that's something that we forget is that politics isn't this kind of flat objective um kind of race course like everything's everything's in flux all the time if the cost of petrol is up 150 percent and the cost of housing is up 200 percent then the numbers that applied three four years ago are basically irrelevant like we're talking about different things now um, like what would Jacinda in 2016 say, right? If she saw the government of today, she'd be pissed, at least like rhetorically. And she'd be like, this isn't, this isn't transformative. You're tinkering around the edges, which is obviously exactly what they're doing. Um, yeah, but obviously some good changes that should have happened um, in the government. Like they're not bad things. They're just nowhere near enough. Yes, like when we say they're nowhere near enough, we're not just saying that because we want to be like negative Nancys who, you know, are like the, critical and conscious of this government it's it's literally just that um if the purpose of the changes are to meet the needs of the people they can't because the needs of the people have grown so great well the purpose of the changes wasn't to do that the purpose of the changes was to be part of a raft of um social welfare changes that they wanted to introduce in in two um parts at the last budget because they wanted two chances to take it to the public you know Mm -hmm. the this is um, the raising the benefits, for example, was a split raise between last year and this year, so they could do publicity twice. It's nothing. Mm-hmm. These changes are nothing to do with the current cost of living crisis. They were already locked in for April first, um, and it, I think that's the one the thing that really <laughs> irritates me uh, most about this. And I will be a negative Nancy. Um, is that they're trying to say, oh, this is going to help you now. We're doing this for you because of, because it's tough for Kiwis at the moment. No, you're fucking not. Like, you're doing it because, like, you had Treasury approval to do it um, in this way six months ago. Yeah. yeah. yeah this... like we've, we've seen that Grant Robertson can pull $50 billion out of the air if he wants to, right? He just doesn't want to. Like, that's what it comes down to. <laughs> If it I was mean, businesses, then it would be a different story. But when it was businesses, it, when it ha- it has been businesses and it's been a very different story. I mean, you know, I mean, and I, I, you know, my, I have friends who own small businesses um, and who are campaigning for. <laughs> get off the podcast. Yeah, get off the podcast. Um, who are campaigning for like renewed uh, support during the peak of the Omicron yeah. wave, which I, you know, support completely because um, I think, you know, like we should be supporting um, 
we should have had the wage subsidy and things like that. Um, anyways, uh, but it was amazing how responsive government was actually compared to similar activities aimed at, um, you know, things like welfare and, and for working people. And I'm not actually um, saying it was wrong for them to provide the wage subsidy and things like that. I'm just saying, where's the for quickness? Where's the urgency? And there just hasn't been, yeah, it's really depressing. <laughs> The other change um, that's come through is so, um, the increase in the minimum wage, uh, which again, uh, great, um, but continuing to fall um, short of uh, a living wage, which is the calculated amount you know <laughs> needed to survive uh, in society uh, by I think about two dollars. Um, living wage, so the living wage has just been updated as well. So yeah, it's, it's going up in September. Twenty three sixty five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, well, do we think that some of the the rhetoric that Labour are trying to grasp onto um, now that this this raft of changes has come through is going to be indicative of what they're going to head into the election campaign? With is this can can we have some optimism about Labour's direction? I'm I'm hesitantly optimistic you know i'm also mm, i wouldn't call myself hesitantly optimistic i'm i think i'm less optimistic maybe i'm not optimistic but i do less I do pessimistic think, less pessimistic <laughs> here's here's what i think okay i think budget 2022 is um their sh their one shot one opportunity to seize everything you've ever got um will you capture it um you know no seriously <laughs> Um, I, I, I think they're a real risk of losing this come up election if they don't pull something out of their um, proverbial ass in this budget and something big, you know? And they keep kind of saying, they keep kind of making kind of comments that there is going to be something big. I don't know, but I don't know what big means for them. So that's the other thing that I, I keep thinking yeah. about. But um, I'm waiting to see what happens in the budget is actually my answer to that, to see. Um, I think they will ca campaign on the bread and butter kind of labor issues, which is good because, um, you know, I think when labor pivots right, um, they kind of, it's them trying to kind of uh, grasp which way the wind is blowing. If they p are pivoting to sort of classic and traditional, you know, social democratic kind of ideas, I think it actually does, I think, you know, like, I think I, 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 taking, taking, you know, just removing ourselves from the politics of it and going to the people again, like, I think people are hungry for social, like some mild social democracy. <laughs> I really do. Um, you know, and, and, and there is like, I think we're a much more progressive kind of populist than we were like four years ago in terms of like um, what we want, the changes we'd like to see policy-wise. Maybe I'm being too optimistic, but um, I didn't really get that sense uh, just looking at, you know, polls and stuff like that. So yeah. I think, so there's, I think some, that there's some data to support that in terms of welfare stuff. Especially. Um, people are more, actually, I think this might've recently started to turn around. So I might be, I might be out of offline now, but last year, at least it looks like there'd been a pretty solid trajectory since, um, 2016-ish that the populace in general are more enthusiastic about support for beneficiaries in a broader way um, than they were through the 2000s and the 90s like the beneficiary bashing thing seems to have reached its head and decreased um, and part so, of that I think is the just like clear realignment and reimagining of the like citizens relationship with the state right in multiple ways like as neoliberalism's failed and more recently as COVID's shown that actually the state can do stuff and sometimes that's good like that's okay to think about that way and even though the government tried so hard to have a two-tier benefit system where good beneficiaries uh who lost their jobs because of covid got money and bad beneficiaries who didn't have jobs anyway um got screwed that there seems to have been some kind of realignment in people's uh, expectations i guess which is awesome and yeah you're right justine like the fact that labor feels that they have to still like give that constituency something is really good like it's not whether labor's good or bad but their pollsters are saying they can't ignore unemployed people 
because middle-aged middle-aged middle-class people want them to survive now so that's great right that's yeah. a, like that's a, a realignment in our favor and I think um, the other thing about, you know, fair pay agreements is also an indicative of uh, changing attitudes towards unions. So, you know, unions, um, like public attitude towards unions is more positive than it's been in, in, in decades. Um, the public, by quite a big margin, supports like compulsory unionism, which is quite crazy to me. So um, the, law, uh, the Law Society did a survey, a poll on this, um, but it was a while back, so I'd be interested to see, um, it's 2019, but I'd be interested to see. And it came out that over 60% of New Zealanders supported compulsory unionism, which they were shocked at. They were not expecting those results. Um, so, yeah, just kind of interesting, uh, interesting movements within the electorate, I think, for sure. And it's um, it's the Western world as well. It's not just New Zealand. Um, they were seeing huge, uh, what we're, I guess we call stripe waves and um, a, a re- um, rejuvenation of unions in the United States of all places. There, like, there've been some incredible wins and some incredible times. You know um, what? Though, like, when things get bad, that's when people, <laughs> you know, like things need to get bad for people to things need to get this bad for people to realize the utility of unions. Okay, fine. So yeah, no. Um, can I just say, just shout out? They won the today. Uh, news is coming out that I, th I think that a union has won the first unionized Amazon workplace, which is amazing because yeah, incredible. In, in Alabama, when they lost that count, people were saying it was impossible, you know, and it was foolhardy to even try. And now, two years, you know, less than two years later, first unionized Amazon warehouse. So, so fuck you, Jeff. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> and there's a couple of Starbucks now as well, right? That's another a more than more than a couple, Philip. It's sweeping oh, right. across the Starbucks nation. The CEO oh, of Starbucks had to resign because oh, wow. the shareholders were so upset at the wave of unionization. Great. <laughs> like, like it is so funny. Oh god, it just brings me joy. Anyways, um, yeah, no, no, that that's really cool. We haven't quite seen that yet in in Aotearoa, but I think. Um, I, I, I am hopeful. Well, I mean, we have fair pay agreements here. You know, we, we have policy meeting some of those needs. Um, yeah. And, you know, we, we did see it um, at the, I can't remember the name of the company that uh, Ed Miller um, was doing what was with First Union, the Pack and Crate Company. Check, Chip. yeah. Yeah. Um, they, had, they had a strike and, and they, they won, you know, and I think it was a, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a month-long strike. Um, and our, our media barely go and cover it. You know, they don't get much public attention uh, because, well, I mean, it was also happening during the parliament, parliament protests. So um, why not go and see the spectacle instead? But it did get a lot of uh, movement on social media. Uh, like so many people knew about it and so many people were, were talking about it. Um, and even that was enough uh, alongside, obviously, the, the work of the the strikers and the picketers to hold the line um, to, to make some pretty, pretty immediate change. Yeah. I'm, I'm really hopeful about that. And I, the other, um, I guess the other political party in this space is, is the Greens. Um, we had Ricardo Menendez march on midweek uh, to talk about some of the things happening in that space. And it's been, I'm going to say refreshing this week to see the Greens come out and try and push Labour further, um, despite this raft of Labour promises and like changes coming out yesterday. Um, and I'm, I'm really hoping we're going to see a more antagonistic Greens um, that, that's really trying to pull Labour to the left a bit more uh, than what it's felt like over the last few years. I think we're really seeing the fruits of Ricardo, um, Chloe, uh, and um, I'm sure there are other people. So please forgive me if I'm and Tiano as well. Like, like the the kind of advocacy that they've been doing, obviously in caucus in the Greens, um, to to kind of make the Greens more agile and more responsive, and and pushing for more transformative. Um, policy and it's been really awesome to be honest like it's actually been really good because like like the greens coming out for full, for free public transport I, and i know it's not like honestly i mean it should be like a given. Logic, a given right but 
what that does is it amplifies all the people on the ground that are fighting for it, the campaigners and everything like that. To be to have a responsive party that is willing to make those to 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 kind of like amplify those calls, like for instance as well with the, um, you know, and we didn't win this one, but it's still something that you know like, okay, you know, like they were responsive to me personally when I asked them to stop fucking around with the means testing in ninety five moss and and. Uh, and then it was a infographic gone wrong anyways and they corrected it but the point being is like i'm i'm really like seeing yeah i'm just seeing i i, I really want to like give a shout out particularly to i think um chloe ricardo tiano um because and and not to erase anybody else but i think they're doing a great job in caucus and really pushing these things am i erasing someone elizabeth, elizabeth. sorry um, who else Elizabeth's pretty solid. Jan's always been good. Um, yeah, yeah. Behind the scenes, but um, yeah, like it's interesting. I think everyone, including maybe maybe especially myself, is is guilty of um, kind of rose-scented glasses when you look at the Greens' history. Like it, it feels like the Greens were left 15 years ago and have become less less so as time goes on. Right, that's kind of the trajectory that people, including and probably especially me, like talk about and think about. Um, and I think on a lot of on a lot of issues that is the case, but recently on paper they've said some of the most left wing stuff they ever have. Like they've never, if you look at the like uh, policy history of the Greens, they've never promoted free public transport for everyone um, until now. So that's like a that's a big shift. There's always been like question marks or means testing of some kind or like certain types of public transport to encourage people to do certain things. That kind of um, thought it's that post values green stuff right that's like we want to encourage people to become perfect beautiful angelic beings like that in the marketplace in the marketplace yeah so it's that kind of i guess anti-materialist history <clears throat> that sits kind of awkwardly on the left sometimes um but i think it's awesome and yeah i think ricardo's done some amazing work um especially but yeah everyone else we mentioned as well because sometimes in those kind of organizations that have become quite safe and centralized and PR kind of focused um that's quite hard to push against the inertia that's built up so I mean a lot of the staffers are like political animals like they what they do is they get up and they go to the, the beehive and they work alongside staffers from other parties and uh Henry Cook and you know mainstream media people whose imagination goes from like center of labor to center of national like that's their political imagination so it's quite hard to break out of that if you're if that's your kind of life um that's why mps like um Jeanette Simons and Rod Donald and kind of the first cadre of green mps were so revolutionary it wasn't because they were super left-wing in every case it was because they didn't give a shit about the rules right so they would just walk in and be like what if we do this that everyone else thinks is stupid but 10 percent of the population thinks would make sense because um, you can do that that's what like a parliamentary representative democracy should hold space for and it seems like that imagination is kind of what's gone missing and we're just recently seeing maybe that fire starting to rekindle with ricardo just saying something like that like what if public transport was free um based on just a few people around the country doing stuff and chloe has a similar mindset i think which is awesome yeah, I, I think, you know, I think it's, I, I can't, I think you can't really like downplay the importance of those relationships to um, beyond parliament. And, you know, this is something that a lot of these political animals just don't have is like organic connections to unions, to activists, to, to the, you know, leaders on the ground um, who play that important, you know, and a really important kind of role between parliament, yeah, like, and, 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 you know, you got to give, credit where credit's due is like I see the Greens reaching out to the grassroots a lot more like a lot more than you know has been happening as well and 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 having that open line of communication I mean it's um and it's been really fruitful and so it's like it's, it's and, and I actually think like some some backbencher labor MPs have that as well have those organic connections to unions to act living wage groups and things like that and it makes a hell of a difference because to be honest, like having to face the people who are affected by your policy just makes a difference. And um, and I also think there's more of a distance now between the right and the left in parliament, because, you know, as much as um, previously you could say, oh, you know, at the end of the day, they'll all go have a beer at backbenches. 
the right has become so much more feral that um, even the center left is like, you know, very alienated, I would say from, from a lot of the, yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, do you, do you remember, um, I remember a time when, when David Seymour was like having dinner with spinoff journalists as like a little bit of a, a laugh and, or, you know, Chloe and David Seymour were friendly. You know, you know, that's not happening anymore. Like things have changed. I think, I think there is like that, that there's a lot more distance now, which is a good, it's actually a good thing because, um, you know, as an organizer, uh, there's a danger in spending too too much time with your opponent <laughs> with, with the person you're supposed to be across the table having a fight with um so uh that's actually a really good thing there should be distance between between those groups because they represent completely divergent interests ideally right okay um yeah i think i think one thing that i i think is, is useful to say just in terms of analysis is that i don't really think it's individuals that uh, are driving um any of the inertia at all um like very fantastic staffers as well you know there are very fantastic people working uh, in parliament but the size of the institution creates the boundaries uh, and and the the history of the institution creates the boundaries that just like seem impossible to go past unless you're coming in with a, a wildly different perspective um or uh, incredibly driven in a direction by either your constituents or some uh sense of purpose so I think one of the really heartening things for me is that now that's happening uh, via some of the representatives, the political machine is getting behind it. And that's a huge change. Um, and I like, for example, something I don't think you necessarily see in, in one of the, the bigger parties um, because it's so much harder to get that shifting. Uh, I think one of the, the major impacts of that is going to be that and we've seen it this week um when labor releases policy instead of just having national in the media saying but why not tax cuts and pushing them from the from kind of a right-wing populism we're going to have a genuine uh left-wing critique uh in the electoral space which i can't remember when we last had that um and and, and like the full setting of um uh MPs, policy, and PR. Um, and you know, that, that can potentially make some, put some incredible pressure on Labour. Absolutely, I, I would agree. And, and I think it's a sign that the James Shaw faction of the Green Party has actually kind of lost to be honest, because um, let's be let's be totally clear. They they were in charge for a good few years there when we were, um, and I mean, you can actually see James James Shaw's lack of politics just on his Twitter, just like the innate things that he posts on his Twitter versus like, you know, the actual like interest in the world and um, analysis of power relations that you see from other green MPs. Anyway, so what I'm saying is that, um, yeah, I, I think like that is a good, that's a very positive movement, but I do think you need a good leader. And I do still worry about sort of like James Shaw still technically, I would actually call him technically the co-leader because I don't see him really doing very much at all um, and being in that public space versus- Well, where has he, like, I haven't seen him this week. I don't know where he is. I don't know. I don't hear from. I, I mean, I know that he was in court arguing against, um, you know, climate uh, justice campaigners about uh, the fact that his um, his work is merely wishful thinking, and he's not really as the climate minister, and he's not really intending to, to yeah. Which is just, he's a liability. Can we just say that he's a liability? He's absolutely a liability. We can say whatever we want internationally he's he's considered like um a conservative when it comes to climate action um he doesn't really seem to be able to respond to to lead um at a time where we need leadership and we do have that leadership within the party so it just doesn't really make a lot of sense to me um and that's just my honest take on the whole thing and i do also think that the leaks the silly leaks the damaging leaks come from oh man i'm always so somewhere that. somewhere in his office um because they always seem to target the sort of left or more progressive flank of the greens uh and it's just so inane 
and it's self it's a self-inflicted injury really for the greens and i can't see anyone doing that but someone from james's office i just have to be honest and i'm i'm totally being libelous right now i have no evidence of it whatsoever but i no, I no, no. Really- okay cool we need to edit that out because you're claiming you have to say in a video game um or, <laughs> yeah. or something similar to say like this is just an opinion yeah this is totally just an opinion and therefore it's, it's not opinion. therefore it's but not libelous yeah not, not, not libelous easy <laughs> James, not trying to libel you, but I do, I do. And that's my my theory because because it always does seem to be attacking the le- the left, and it's totally unstrategic. Yeah, and also like, uh, just resign and go get a better job. Um, yeah. I think yeah, definitely. There's that there's that kind of factional shift over time within the Greens. Um, there's also the like, which is good to see. I think that we may have a left wing party by next election. Who knows? Um, but. Uh, yeah, the, the Labour backbencher thing, I think, is interesting because we had this huge influx of Labour um, backbench MPs who haven't had much to do because it's such a centralised party now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'd sort of wondered early on if we'd see more kind of ructions internally and kind of louder voices. It has, I don't think in general there's been much of that. It's been a pretty well... Um, Backstage, the line, eh? ...machine, um, which is pretty disappointing. But that comes to the Lewis Wall issue right um who resigned like by the standards of non-minister mps in new zealand like pretty long kind of illustrious career um as an mp i mean by the standards of some ministers like honestly yeah sure sure but that like i think that that brings up the issue of like uh broad church is good in politics like i think that's the that's kind of the crux of what people have been debating about the loose wall thing is that a lot of um, journalists have said, oh, she's so good. Um, I don't know if they'd say the same thing if she had different positions, which is an interesting thing. Like, I think there's some kind of post hoc reasoning where people are like, I agree with some of her takes, therefore uh, it's good that the Labour allows this breadth of opinion. Whereas if there were, maybe if they're an MP with different sets of uh, what are seen as more heterodox beliefs that they didn't shut up about, uh, like a socialist in the Labour Party, imagine that they might not get the same tolerance from the mainstream media. But I thought um, like Bryce Edwards wrote a piece that was, you know, in his normal kind of non-committal cowardly way was quite scathing um, of Lewis Wall um, and was basically saying um, parties shouldn't have such broad, I mean, it's the, it's the same argument as the anti-walker jumping party hopping bill proponents had, right? Um, parties should have very clear lines that all the MPs stick to so that voters know what they're voting for, so that democracy is preserved in the kind of electoral sense. So when everyone votes, they know I'm voting for the Labour Party. That means A, B and C. Um, that means we won't get marriage equality, for example, um, by that standard. Right. So it's a kind of centralization of. I just, yeah, which I, I want to say, I just fully disagree with this analysis of what electoral politics should be, but interesting that bryce edwards like put such a premium on diversity of thought and having you know a broad spectrum of debate and freedom of speech would make that kind of argument I, that and, his own, and his own institutions yeah i mean yeah. um also, also from memory he was he was quite against the party hopping bill passing for the exact for those exact like reasons he's he's on both sides of every debate sure where his head at is these days I think, I think it is an interesting debate right because like we were talking about before the greens arguably has been too wide a church for the last like 15 10 15 years and that's caused issues like these internal kind of right-wing greens leaping against internal left-wing greens issues. i see i i don't think it's an issue with broad church like and i think like there is something to say for having policy positions that you take to the electorate. Um, I think, you know, maybe under a, a true MMP um, rather than one dominated by two major parties, there is a stronger argument for having like uh, tighter um, policy ideals among your MPs, but we just don't have that. Um, and so for me, I want as much chaos in my Labour Party as possible so they fracture into multiple parties and same with National. Yeah, I mean, like, um, I think MMP has a tendency towards, you know, to centrism. Uh, there's the, uh, you know, like it is, it, it does kind of seem to leave a little bit less diversity in the, at, at least within the major parties. 
which is what because they do splinter off and then form these small parties that eventually kind of fade away unfortunately is what we've seen so far in MMP kind of you know like you think about the Labour Party in the 80s you know had um, new Labour not split off the Labour Party we would have had a lot of um, those old school kind of social democrats still in the party um, which may have made a difference but so in, in terms of like the later trajectory of the Labour Party so you know I mean just talking about how that's kind of played out um, as well with like MMP and Alliance and um I, I agree. Like, I, I don't think, I think, look, I think I'm, I think I'm more lean towards, like, I think party discipline, it can be a really important thing. Um, and you need to be able to have some sort of like d discipline within, you know, within the party um, and like just a unified kind of um, co-papa. Um, that's, I mean, obviously for the left, though, I don't care what the right does, and I hope that they do fracture into a million pieces. Um, anyways, uh, <laughs> yeah, but... Point, right? So yeah, yeah. you're making the strategic point, which is that it's good for parties to have internal discipline um, for multiple yeah. reasons, like both so they can get stuff done, so they can campaign in a coherent way, and so that people will believe them when they say something. Exactly. It makes but, a lot of sense. But on the other hand, like from a, a legal or like principled point of view, what should we expect from MPs more broadly? I think it's interesting because like Kyle said, we don't really have like a functioning MMP system. We have this like kind of ghost of FPP essentially, like we treat Labour and National like the two options with a couple of tag-ons. Whereas like there are plenty of European countries where MMP is much more functional in that sense. And there mm -hmm. are half a dozen like stable, like, I mean, Germany, Germans MMP has a lot wrong with it, but they have like a left party every election that does okay and kind of has its own like think tank and organization that runs mm. pretty independently and everyone kind of expects them to be there and that's fine. And they can run and people believe them. So if you're, if you're in the left-wing party and then you say something that seems a bit right-wing, maybe you should leave and join the, the Greens or the Social Democrats, right? Mm. And that like at some point that spectrum is crossed, but I think due to all the barriers we have here, both like cultural and legal, like 5%, 4% is a really high threshold, right? If you mm. were Lisa Wall and you wanted to leave and create the Lisa, the Lisa, the Lisa Wall party, which is what some people were saying she should have done. Like she's not going to get four five percent. She might no. get, and that's like a, that's a big win. So if we're if we're going to talk about like tightening the size of the allowable kind of ideology in each party, I think we need to also think about what the alternatives are. Like otherwise, we're encouraging that kind of um, this is going to keep happening, right? Yeah, no reason. Totally. I, I agree with you completely. And I think, I, I think, you know, Lewis and Wall, like talking about like, you know, I think, I think like to an extent, every party should be, have some diversity of opinion. I can't really understand what was so um, unacceptable about Lewis and Wall's like, <laughs> views. I mean, it was, it wasn't, she didn't deviate too, too widely from what I've seen. So um, I mean, anyway. her party voted for some of her stuff. Like, you know, I, I think it was just a, an internal like a personality, personal issue, personality yeah. thing, yeah. And yeah. I think this is the the difference I always try and um, run home is there's a difference between party discipline and ideological um, uniformity. Uniformity, yeah. Um, and there needs to be more space. And you know, I've talked about this uh, just in terms of left wing media and, and left wing um, ideas a lot because uh, it's kind of my my thing. Uh, but there needs to be space for that. There needs to be space for yeah, we like. I'm a backbencher. I have different ideas about what I'd like to see in this country than some members of the cabinet, and that's okay. And it's not a fucking gotcha. And you're not going to like give me like run stories on it for a month saying that Labor's in turmoil. You know, that, it's just a, an incredibly unhealthy environment. Like, I I want Grant Robertson and Jacinda Ardern to have different ideas about what's best uh, for the country, and I want them to be open about that. And then say, and this is the policy plan that we have um, that's down the middle of those. And those things need to be transparent. We need to have that, um, that differentiation because otherwise you do just get monoliths. And like, Labour is just like, we're just going to do some tiny little things. We're just going to tweak around the edges. And no one's going to complain about it because the only people who can complain about it are in the party because we've got 52%. Yeah. Exactly right. But so like to draw the uncomfortable comparison, remember after um, Matidia admitted like benefit fraud and electoral fraud, Kennedy Graham and uh, Dave Clendon coming out and saying, um, oh, we don't think that someone who has a history of that should be allowed to be a minister or something as MPs from within her own party, which is quite a, like an aggressive and radical departure from the party line. 
Never so like, forgive and never forget, quite frankly. <laughs> but like, so the media did run like greens and turmoil stories, right? Based on that, but which is interesting because like at some point there's, there's got to be a line and the media is so hungry for any kind of internal fracture. Like the greatest sin you can do in New Zealand politics is like internal dissent, right? That's much worse than like anything actually, actually bad <laughs> ideologically or personally, right? It's much worse to like, have something that smells like blood so the sharks can can gather. People have weathered, like MPs have weathered some pretty horrific shit and stayed in, stayed in Parliament. I yeah. mean, yeah, I mean, just take any national MP, basically. Judith yeah, Collins, my God. Yeah, yeah, years and years, right? Like, strength and unity matters much more than, um, like, moral turpitude, <laughs> um, which is just, there seems to be, like, the iron law of New Zealand politics. So if you, like, if you think that um, there needs to be internal party discipline on, on messaging like that, then that is quite like a radical infraction for your own MPs to go to the media and say, like, we think our leader shouldn't be a minister um, because they've admitted this thing, basically. So, so that's like, that makes sense to me, for sure, that like, they shouldn't be in the party if that's how they're going to be spending their time. See, that's a I'd say that's a discipline thing. That's like a party discipline thing. Go and have those conversations internally. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's yeah i mean what lewis wall said to her, her famous thing about like um oh, if you give me the ball like don't tell me how to run it kind of thing which seems to be used as the line to to represent that she wouldn't like represent issues in the way that she was told like i think it's interesting like justine said like none of her positions are super anti-labor ideologically there's not a lot of like heterodoxy there it's not even particularly interesting and she had some big wins yeah, for, for sure. But she wouldn't, she wouldn't like stick to PR lines in the way that they wanted her to maybe, or she'd use like different examples from what the bloody like comms managers told her to use. It's that, it's that level of stuff that gets a bit kind of petty. That's like, really? Like, what do you want? Do you just want like 50 descenders sitting next to each other? It's incredibly petty. It, it, it's, it, it is personal. It has, you know, I just, I'm sorry. I mean, for goodness sake. It's literally just someone with a streak of independence, I think which they're which they're mad about which is silly yeah. and as much as i didn't agree with some of the things that lewis wall was championing i i i'm you know incredibly opposed to safe spaces in front of i'm just joking, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just joking. I'm just joking um yeah um you know there were some things that she there were some things that she picked up which were a bit strange um i kind of i respected that independent streak yeah yeah same but it's it's like i think it, it just brings up the awkward contradictions about mmp and the westminster system where we're kind of expecting two completely opposed types of democracy to function in the same space i think that's the like that's the lewis all wall issue that people are, are hiding under this like you know made up interesting things about her kind of parliamentary career which is like interesting on a personal level but on a structural level makes no difference like the next lewis wall um, well, it will be interesting to see if the media treats them the same and the party, the parties treat them the same because I, I can't see any, any difference happening. And like, if you if you were someone who um, struggled to take PR lines at face value and like maybe had God forbid like politics of your own and an ideology, if you were like thinking about a party to join, why would you join the Labour Party after like seeing the way that they treat someone? Um, I'm sure there are lots of like internal stories about Lewis Wall being hard to work with. I don't, I haven't heard them, but I'm sure there are. Good, there are for every MP, right? But it's it's interesting that like there have been a couple of um, stories claiming that she was like turfed out by her own, by members in her own electorate. That's not super clear to me that that's how that went down um, with Irina Williams, because it like it looked more like a, a pressure from Party Central. But again, it'd be interesting to talk to like local local activists there. Totally. Anyway, we're in the weeds now, sorry. <laughs> we're so far in the weeds. Uh, and that brings us just about to time as well. Um, let's, let's pop our heads uh, back above the weeds. Any, any final things about the week that either of you want to mention before we head off for the morning? Uh, Matariki, it's good. We need more holidays. Yeah. Okay, agreements. I love it. We need more unions. We need more unions. I love that... Um, while the like the Greens were putting out uh, cost of living stuff and Labour were enacting policies, Nationals' entire week of media was just fucking dumb 
uh, pushback on Masariki of all things. Oh, but why is it? Why is there a labor holiday? Why shouldn't there be a national and an out yeah. holiday? Keep on doing that, folks. Keep on doing that. And Please continue. That was fabulous. Virtue signal more. It's working. Like it, it is quite funny that you'd you'd choose like public holiday to campaign against that famously unpopular thing that centrist voters hate. Um, uh, no more public holidays. <laughs> but like, I think the more interesting thing about Matariki is like, obviously it should be a public holiday. We need at least one public holiday that relates to Maori culture, considering we're in New Zealand, like ridiculous, we don't have one. Um, but also it should be Guy Fawkes. Guy Fawkes should be on Matariki because it's the middle of winter and there won't be fires and like wanton destruction every year around Guy Fawkes. We should legalize fireworks around Matariki instead massively cut down on the amount of uh houses and trees getting burnt down and not have them on on guy fawkes day because that's light right you should start a party about this phil <laughs> that's been an idea for a while it's not an original it's not an original thought. <laughs> um, but yeah we need, we need more holidays especially in in periods where there aren't other ones like a, a winter holiday would be awesome yeah totally hey let's let's leave it there uh what a what a good uh, positive point to end on thanks so much for joining us everyone uh, i've been really good uh, to have you here for another episode of one through hundred current events we'll catch you sometime uh later next week uh pop along to our live stream on thursday nights at 8 p.m uh jump into our our patreon or our acast plus uh now we're on that platform as well uh if you want to Throw us a few dollars to keep independent left media running in this tiny little country um, down the bottom of the world. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Relentless routines, the dying embers of your dreams, is the lie aspirational. Will you die keeping your glass half full? The relentless routines The dying embers of your dreams Is a lie aspirational Will you die keeping your glass half full? You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism You don't hate your nation You hate nationalism